All right, well, welcome to uh, Redeemer again. This is the strangest sermon I've ever given. I'm here at the church by myself and uh, recording it on my phone. As you you may know, uh, we just sent out an email yesterday, but uh, my wife tested positive for COVID, which means uh, in all likelihood, I have it. I was tested yesterday as well, and I should know the results either today or tomorrow, but we're going to be safe and... um, Record from here at the church by myself, which is just super strange. But if, if you're just tuning in, uh, my name is Matt Howell, and I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, we want Redeemer to be a community of people where we learn to love God and we learn uh, how to love each other. And the way that we go about doing that is uh, we gather together to worship God, uh, our Father, Son, and our Holy Spirit, so that we might rest in his great love for us. As we rest in his love, we also gather together throughout the week to remind one another of his love for us. And as we rest in his love and remind one another of his love, we delight to spread throughout Midtown in service and by forming relationships and by doing justice so that we might reflect his love to Midtown and to our neighbors and to our friends. And so that's kind of who we are. If you're new to Redeemer, you're just checking us out. We are a community of people that are trying to learn how to love God as we rest in his love and remind one another of his love and reflect his love. So in order to help us do that uh, this fall, what we've been doing is we have been uh, looking through the Sermon on the Mount. And here we are at the end, the, the, the grand finale, the big conclusion. This is Jesus's big kind of wrap up. And, you know, just to give you a little inside tip, uh, the, the conclusion of a sermon is kind of a big deal. This, this, is, this is when the preacher really wants to wrap up everything that they've just talked about. They, they you know, put, a, put a spike on the end of it and drill the point home. And Jesus being the, the master preacher that he is, he does the same thing with this big conclusion. And what he does here at the end, here in Matthew chapter 7, which I'm going to read in just a second, Jesus forces us to answer the crucial question, what even is Christianity anyway? It gets right into the heart of the matter. What even is Christianity? And I didn't, I didn't include it in your bulletin, but right before this, um, he, he, he says uh, there's two different paths that you have to choose. There's a, there's a wide path and a narrow path. There's only two, but you've got to pick which path you're going to walk down. And then the passage right after that, he says there are two different types of trees. There are trees that produce good fruit and trees that produce bad fruit. And you've got to choose which tree you're going to be. And in our passage here this morning, in Matthew chapter 7, uh, verse 21 through 27, Jesus says there are two different foundations to build your life on. And there is no neutrality. There's only two. You've got to pick which foundation are you going to choose to build your life on. And these two foundations, as we're going to see, are, are not what you would expect. He's not choosing, he's not asking you to choose between uh, being a good person or being a nasty person. He's not, even, he's not even asking you to choose between being a religious person and being a non-religious person. The two foundations are, will you trust yourself or will you trust in Christ? So let's look at it. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 27. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, Did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. 
Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Two different foundations. Foundation of the rock, foundation of the sand. Trusting in yourself, trusting in Christ. Let me look at these one at a time. What do I mean by this foundation of trusting in yourself? Well, uh, look back at the beginning in verses 21 through 22. Jesus paints this picture of people that have done everything that they're supposed to do. They, They were good religious people. And there are three characteristics about these people I just wanna highlight really quickly. Here's the first. In verse 21 and 22, they come up and they call Jesus Lord. So they have orthodox theology. That's characteristic number one. Lord was the Greek translation of the Hebrew word for Yahweh. So these are people that come up to Jesus and, and recognize that he is divine, recognize that he is truly God in the flesh. So they have orthodox theology. Number two, notice they don't just say Lord, but they say Lord, Lord. Now, in our language, or anytime there's any writing in our language, if we want to emphasize something or really intensify something, we bold it, we italicize it. In Jesus' day and age, you know, in the Bible, whenever you wanted to emphasize something, you doubled it. So they don't just say Lord, they say Lord, Lord, which is the way to say that there's, there's emotional engagement. There's, there's, uh, there's intensity in, involved in their emotional life as they relate to Jesus. So these would be... These would be people that the college kids might say are on fire for God. These are people that, you know, they, they close their eyes, they raise their hands in worship. They, 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 they are emotionally involved in their spiritual life. That's characteristic number two. Here's characteristic number three. Uh, they're personally active in ministry. In verse 22, it says that they prophesied in Jesus' name, they cast out demons in Jesus' name, and they did many mighty works in Jesus' name. They're doing awesome stuff. They're leading people to Jesus. They're helping other people. They're doing these miracles. Okay, three characteristics. Orthodox theology, they're emotionally involved, they're active in ministry. Surely, if somebody has chosen to build their life on the right foundation, it would be these sorts of people. But notice what Jesus says. Verse 23, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now here's kind of where the record scratches and you're like, okay, what? How does this make any sense? Okay, in order to make sense of this, you kind of have to look a little bit closer and I kind of read in between the lines. And I want to show you three reasons why these people are not trusting in Christ, but they are trusting in themselves. Here's reason number one entitlement. You can see that they have a sense of entitlement to them. Look at verse 22 again. They said, Lord, Lord, did we not do X, Y, or Z? There's this sense of shock there. Like, whoa, didn't we do all the right stuff? We did all the right stuff. So surely we are the kind of people that are entitled to get into your kingdom. We're the kind of people that are entitled to your blessings. And what you find out here is that it's totally possible 
to be a good person, to be a nice person, to be a religious person, to believe and do all the right things, not because you want God, not because you want to simply please God, but because you want God to owe you something. I don't know if you've seen the TV show, The Office, but in uh, one particular episode, Dwight comes into the office holding a big platter of bagels. You might remember this episode. He comes in and he says, good morning, everybody. Who would like an authentic New York bagel? And as people pick them up off the tray and say, oh, thanks, Dwight. He has this kind of devilish grin. And he says, oh, thank. Or he says, you know, oh, no problem. You owe me one. In fact, he goes into Michael's office and um, he says, hungry? And <laughs> Michael goes, no, I had a fish stick sandwich. Actually, I had two fish stick sandwiches. My girlfriend didn't want hers. And so he ends up taking a bagel anyway, and Michael or D- Dwight kind of walks out and he says, you owe me. And then it cuts to the monologue, you know, the, the talking head where Dwight says this, can't a guy just buy some bagels for his friends so they'll owe him a favor, which he can use to get someone fired who stole a co-manager position from him anymore? Jeez, when did everyone get so cynical? And here's this, you know, it's this ridiculous scenario, but it's him giving out these gifts, but there's a catch involved. He's giving you these gifts because he wants you to owe him something in return. In the same way Jesus is showing you, it's very possible to go to church, say the prayers, go to the meetings, try to be a good person so that God will owe you so that you feel entitled to his blessings, to him answering your prayers. Of course, I'm the kind of person that you would bring into your kingdom of heaven because look, I've done all the stuff. Entitlement, you're trusting in yourself, not Christ. So that's reason number one. Here's reason number two, externality, externality. Did, did you notice that in their list of all their activities, of what they're listing, they're all listing Outward, external behavior, uh, prophesying, casting out demons, doing many mighty works. That's all external behavior. And the reason why is because most good people, most religious people only think about goodness in terms of externals. So, for example, being good to a a typical, stereotypical religious person might mean uh, being good is about about the language that you use. Being a good person is about uh, avoiding those kinds of movies and watching these kinds of movies instead. Uh, being a good person is about you know not having sex in the wrong ways or, or you know not getting drunk or you're not doing this or that. Um, a couple of years ago, I guess this was maybe a year, year and a half ago, there was a yellow jacket nest that that had kind of gotten created in our backyard in the bricks. In this, with a, the back part of our house, there was this little hole in the brick, and somehow they had built this nest up in the bricks. So I went out there one day, and I just sprayed, spraying the outside of it, trying to spray in the little hole, and it did nothing. Bees and, and you know, yellow jackets were kind of buzzing all over the place. So I had this idea. I thought, I'm going to put some duct tape over the hole so it, it, it blocks all the bees that are in there from getting out and prevents the bees that are out from getting in. And so I put this duct tape up and did nothing. They just eventually chewed through the tape and I had this problem in my hand and we had to hire somebody to come out and fix it. But my point is, 
That's what typical good religious people do. They, they, they address the outside of their lives. They tape up the outside of their lives as a way of trusting themselves. They look good on the outside, but they ignore this infestation of sin on the inside. If you only address the outside, but you ignore your own pride, your own lust, your own greed, your own racism, your own idolatry, you're trusting in yourself. And that's what these people are doing. Um, entitlement. Externality. Here's reason number three, ego. Their ego. Look at verse, uh, the end of verse 22. They said, we have done many mighty works in your name. Isn't that fascinating? Not only did they think that they did mighty works for God, they did many mighty works, which is to say they are way too aware of their own accomplishments. They are far too impressed with themselves, which, you know, their ministry was just a big ego kick. I heard another pastor ask this question once, and I'm going to ask you. You can, you know, since we're not in person, you can even feel free to answer this question out loud. It's not going to interrupt me. I'm just going to keep going. But here's the question. The question is this. Getting up in the morning to read the Bible, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, the answer is, it depends If the reason you're getting up in the morning to read the Bible is because you think, well, the people that do this are good people, or if you think, well, I want to have a good day, and I believe if I get up in the morning and I read the Bible, I'm going to have a good day, then actually getting up in the morning and reading the Bible can be counterproductive for your own spiritual development. It can be counterproductive for your soul because you're just reading the Bible as an ego kick. You're reading it to trust in yourselves, to feel good about yourself. That's what these people were doing. All of their ministry was just a big ego kick. So you put all three of those reasons together, entitlement and external behavior and ego. Here's what Jesus is doing. He is saying, it's not about choosing between being religious and not religious. He just painted a picture for you of people that were very religious, but they were trusting in themselves. This is why Jesus illustrates this in the next little section, verse 24 through 27, by saying, by saying you have two, two houses on two different foundations. You have two houses right next to each other. They look totally identical, but one of them has, has, has drilled down and then until they found the rock and they built their house on that rock and the other house just built their house on the sand. And so when a storm came and it knocked down the house that was on sand and the, the house that was built on the rock was still standing. But his point is you have two different houses side by side, completely identical, two totally different foundations. And Jesus is saying, you can have two different people side by side that look identical. They both read the Bible. They both care about the poor. They both pray. They both are involved in church. And yet they have two different, completely different foundations. One is doing it because they trust in Jesus. And the other one is doing it because they trust in themselves. And what's also fascinating, if you tease this out, is that you can have two different people side by side that are polar opposites, radically different. You can have one person that goes to church every week and you can have another person that wouldn't be caught dead in church. You can have one person that believes in God and another person that totally an atheist, doesn't believe in God at all. And yet in this scenario, they could be from the same exact foundation underneath. Neither one of them trust in Christ. Both of them ultimately are just trusting in themselves. That's the path. That's, that's, that's the picture that Jesus is painting for us. You have to choose which foundation are you going to choose. Are you going to trust in yourself, build your life on trusting in yourself, or here's this other way, to trust in Christ. Now, let's tease that out for the rest of our time. What does that look like to trust in Christ? Well, if you noticed, at the end here, there's this huge emphasis with um, doing. 
The big conclusion of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, the emphasis is about doing, doing the will of God. Look at verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Look at verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Verse 26. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them. The big breakdown is if you do the will of the Father. Hearing Jesus' words and doing them, that is the key. But the question is, okay, what is, what is his will? What is the will of the Father? What does he want you to do? Well, Jesus doesn't really tell you in this little section. To get that, you have to jump over to John chapter 6. I included it in your, uh, your, the front of your bulletin, but I'll just explain it quickly. Jesus has just miraculously fed uh, 5,000 people with bread. And it was just a crazy miracle. And the next day, this crowd goes out looking for Jesus. And Jesus says to them, okay, you're seeking me, not because you want me, but because you want another free meal. And then he says to them this, don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. And they're confused about, okay, what, do you, what, is it, what does it look like to work for food that uh, endures to eternal life? And they say, what must we be doing? What must we do to be doing the, the works of God? That's what they ask him. And here's what he says. Here it is. Here's what his will is. He just flat out tells you. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. To believe, that is what it means to do the will of God. To, to, it, but here's the thing. To believe doesn't just mean to believe in the existence of. To, to cognitively affirm the reality of. For example, I believe in the Pythagorean theorem. A squared plus B squared equals C squared. I absolutely sign off on that. I endorse that formula. Now, here's the thing. I don't care at all about the Pythagorean theorem. It doesn't matter to me at all. Jesus doesn't want you to just believe in the idea of something, just to affirm the existence of something. To believe in something, biblically speaking, is a lot more like a trust fall. You remember when you were younger and you'd have somebody behind you and you you do this thing where you'd, you'd, do the, you'd fall into the trust fall thing and you'd, you would hope that this person wasn't just pranking you and they were actually going to catch you as you rolled all of your weight onto them. But that's what it means to believe and to trust in Jesus. It means I am going to roll all of me onto you and trust that you are going to catch it. I am trusting you with my past. I'm trusting you with my children, with my, my job, with my future, with my guilt, with my sin, with my life. That's what it means to trust in Jesus. You're not hedging your bets. You're not, um, uh, there's no backup plan. You are going all in based off of what you know is reliable about who he is and what he has done for you. That's the key. That's the contrast. Being a Christian has nothing to do with what you have done or are doing or will do. Being a Christian has everything to do with what Jesus has done. And what Jesus, what has Jesus done? He has done everything. He's done everything that was necessary. 
On the cross, what do you see Jesus crying out? He cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which means when Jesus was on the cross, God the Father looked at him and said, depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. Now, why? Especially since what we know about Jesus was that he lived a beautifully perfect life of keeping the law, of pure righteousness. Because in that moment, Jesus is acting as our substitute. He is stepping in and receiving the the blame and, and the punishment for all of our sin and for all of our guilt so that you and I can be fully exonerated in the courtroom of God. So much so that, that it's not just that we're fully exonerated. It's so that when God looks at us, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. He looks at Jesus and says, depart from me, you worker of lawlessness, so that he can look at you and me and say, well done, good and faithful servant. You know, um, Martin Lloyd-Jones, who is this old uh, pastor, preacher in the, in the 19, middle 1900s, He used to have this uh, conversation starter. He'd come up to people and he'd say, are you a Christian or not? Which is kind of an intense, (laughs) kind of an intense question to ask somebody. Are you a Christian or not? And if their answer was, well, I'm trying, I'm trying to be one. I'm trying hard to be one. He he, he would know at that point, okay, you you don't get it. You 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 don't get Christianity because you either are or you are not. There's only two choices. You are a Christian or you're not one. Now, you might look at that and say, okay, that's a little harsh. That's, that's, you know, that's a little, uh, that's a little harsh. But here's the thing. That's not harsh. That's just what grace is. You either receive it and you have it or you don't. There's no trying to earn it. There's no trying to, to, to merit it, to get it. In the same way, if I were to look at my son, Reed, and I were to ask him the question, Read, are you my son or are you not? And his response is, well, I'm trying. I would say, you don't need to try to be my son. You already are. The reality is, do, do you accept that? Do you, do you live out of that reality, which is already true? Now, here's the last thing, final thing, uh, final question here. How do you know if you are trusting in yourself or if you are trusting in Christ? How how do you know which foundation you're actually building your life on? The way that you know is is based off of what you want God to look at. What do you want God to look at? Religious people will say, God, um, I I want you to look at my accomplishments. Look, look, I've been a good person. I've I've tried really hard. Okay, I haven't been perfect. I've I've messed up some, but all along the way, sure, I've, I've generally been a kind, good, decent moral person. Look, look, a Christian would never talk like that. Somebody who understands the gospel would never say, look at what I've done. They would always say, please don't look at what I've done. God, please take your eyes away from me and whatever I've done. And instead, please accept me on the basis of what Jesus has done. Receive me on the basis of what he has done. That's how you know whether or not you're actually trusting in yourself or you're trusting in him. That's what it means to do the will of the Father. That's what it means to believe in him whom he has sent. Don't make the mistake of building your life on this insecure foundation of your best efforts, of your New Year's resolutions, of your willingness to try harder. Give up on yourself and build your life on the solid rock of Jesus. Trust in him. He will never leave you. 
He will never forsake you. That's the conclusion of Jesus' sermon. Don't trust in yourself, trust in him. That's the conclusion of my sermon as well. Jesus is better. He is the rock that you can build your whole life on and it will not let you down. Consider it an invitation for you this morning. Let me pray. Father, thank you that Jesus is better. Thank you that Jesus is enough. Jesus is sufficient. He is supreme. He is our King. He is our Lord. And I pray, Father, that you would give us the courage and the freedom to stop building our lives on ourselves and our own accomplishments and our best efforts. It's scary. It's scary to relinquish the control. It's scary to to, to fall over completely into Jesus but convince us afresh that he is more beautiful and more believable than we think him to be. We pray all this in Jesus' name.